0: slash connect and fill out a very brief form there's a spot to leave contact info ask questions and even to request prayer also be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our soundcloud podcast to let us know where you're listening may the lord be with you this day grace and peace to you
1: Now that it's working, I have um, my two sons, Jeremiah and Caleb, are gonna pass out these little flyers so that and there's a little great QR code um, that you can connect to what I'll be sharing about um, as far as ministry within a varsity. Um, so if you don't mind receiving one of these, you, it, it, there's no obligation to receive a piece of paper. You if you end up not wanting to like. Um, do anything on this piece of paper except doodle, totally fine. It's scrap paper. It, but it is a quick link to my site, my personal site, would actually then lead you to all the ministries that I'm a part of with InterVarsity. So as was mentioned, I'm the National Director for Church Engagement and Resourcing with InterVarsity. And that's, I serve as National USA um, region, um, so or nation, because We are broken up into regions globally, we are a global organization, we're a parachurch organization, so we know, and the reason why we have church resources is because we know we are not the church, we are not the bride, but we are an arm and an extension of the bride on campuses, which campuses, for you guys, may actually be like the uttermost parts of the world, Um, and so I'm going to get to that in a minute, but as was mentioned, so I don't have my clickers not working So I'm going to do my best to cue you with slides But you can see these slides as they come up and I just wanted to kind of enf- like show a picture of my family That's there and these are the world areas that we served in so over 24 years with uh, or oh, actually 10 years with world mission um, In the church in Nazarene and we served in Italy and Singapore and then the country of Alabama It's down in the south if you haven't been there Ah, so people are with me this morning. I'm so grateful you're with me. So yes, so we serve that way in local church, church planning, and so forth, and um, and my family. So Jeremiah um, is my middle son, 13, and Caleb is 11, and my daughter Natalie is 15. And so we've got two Gen Zers in my family, and one they haven't named. Well, they kind of named Gen Alpha, but anyways, it doesn't matter. We have growing young emerging adults. No matter what their ages, they're emerging. At the same as us. We're continually emerging adults, right? We may scratch the word young, <laughs> maybe, maybe. So I'm I'm pushing that half a century in a year here, which is um, pretty amazing. So the the youngness kind of escapes me, but I am so grateful to be here again. I think it was three years ago that I was here, and so with the next slide, actually, you'll kind of get, you'll see what was on there's um, my family and just kind of my title and stuff and. Uh, if you if you're so inclined we are so I've continued in my missionary journey um, just it's not Not particularly with World Mission anymore, but the beautiful thing about Antivarsity is we actually partner with the church in Nazarene in so many ways. So that video that you just saw, there was actually a big worship space that kind of looked like if you're Nazarene, you know about Nazarene Youth Congress, NYC, right? Like kind of looked like that. Well, it is kind of like that, except it's for college students. It's called the Urbana Missions Conference. It's been going on for 70 years. It's been going on for 70 years. It started in Urbana, Illinois. In 2020, uh, in this this, this year, yeah, whatever year we're in, 2022, right? Um, Urbana 22 will happen, but it's happening in, like, the most Nazarene place you can think of. Yep, you thought of it, Indianapolis, right? (laughs) It wasn't Kansas City, so whoever thought about that is wrong. All right, no, I'm just kidding. So it is, but it is happening in Indianapolis, This, and it happens because we are an academic calendar, so the greatest time to gather college students, which, by the way, is 10 to 20,000 college students who come to a missions conference because they not only see that some of them may see themselves in occupational mission, sure, but all of them are trying to figure out what does it look like to be a missionary minister, no matter my occupation. And that's why they come. They come to, to worship together, to gather together. And so this coming year, Urbana 22 will be happening in between. And actually, we close with communion service on New Year's Eve. And what a great way to enter into the new year, right? And so I want to talk about that kind of hope that we have, which you saw in the video. And Pastor Debbie, man, that prayer, whispers of hope. I'm stealing that. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm honest and confessional right in front of you. So there we go. I'm borrowing it every once in a while. Um, but that is really, like, that's a reflection of what Pastor Debbie prayed, is a reflection of what we feel in InterVarsity, that we, we, are, we are called, as students, we're even commissioned to our, to our universities, whether they're a Christian university or a state university, it doesn't matter. But we're commissioned by the, by the church and by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses, to have an influence on others, to point them to real hope. And so that's what I want to share about today. You know, our vision in InterVarsity, we can go to these next slides, and I'm going to walk through just a few things here, um, go to the next slide even. And, you know, our state campuses throughout the U.S., there's 2,500 campuses in the U.S. right now, and we have a vision in in InterVarsity to, to have a Christian witnessing community on every campus. Right now, two-thirds of them have no Christian witnessing community, no safe place where they can navigate navigate Christian faith and life. No place like that. So so, so we hope to, to provide that sort of space. And we know that we can't do it, nor do we want to do it, without the church. So we're we're inviting churches into this into this ministry into, into this space. Whether it's a long distance, I'm a national director, and, and so I work with the 800 universities that we actually have presence on throughout the nation, right? And and the greatest way in which I work with them is prayer. <laughs> right? I pray for our churches. I pray for our people that would be engaged in that. And so our campuses make up. This is our makeup on state campuses throughout the U.S. And, and, and right now we're at 53 percent. At, at actually, this is just a little bit old. 53 percent, majority of nine white. And so our students live in multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi um, intergenerational spaces all the time. This is the world in which they live. So these are not just issues for them. This is They're friends and names and neighbors and roommates and people. And so um, the fastest growing demographic in the the U.S. and on campuses right now is mixed-race kid. I'm a mixed-race kid. So if you ever wanted to know what a 6-foot white dude and a 4-foot-11 Puerto Rican woman look like, yeah, yeah, here's an example. All right, so there, you're so with me. I love this, right? Um, But, yeah, so, but... But mixed race kids deal with with this this issue the moment they wake up, right? And how do we navigate that faith and life conversion that happens simultaneously at every moment of every day, not only in our own lives, but how do we pray specifically for students that are navigating this in their spaces? And so if we move forward here, you'll see in ways in which we we navigate this because we know the reality that 66% of the students, 66% of the teens in this church will walk away from the church their first year of college. That doesn't mean faith. Now hear me, that doesn't mean faith, because we all have faith in something. We we all do. Everybody in the world has faith in something, whether it's their self, (laughs) or the chair they're sitting on, or in Christ, right? And so we know, we want to help students. We want to change that, because the number one reason students walk away from the church, this is the number one reason from Fuller Institute, Youth Institute, Carapal, number one reason is they feel abandoned by the church. Abandoned. And so how do we, in these spaces that currently exist right now in InterVarsity, how do we help students not feel abandoned? How do we help them feel welcomed? How do we help them feel loved? How do we help them feel seen, heard, and known? Because that's all of our deepest desires, is to be seen, heard, known, and loved. And so we're we're asking the church to partner with us in this. And so if you move to the next slide, here it is. 2,500 campuses throughout the U.S. make up about 20 million in a population. 20 million. So let's just be crazy right now. Let's be really crazy. Let's imagine 1 million of those students saying yes to Jesus. What? All right, you want me to go even more crazy, right? Because we're Nazarene, we're holiness. What if 10 million, 10 million of those students said yes to Jesus? Imagine what would happen not only in their life, and on their campuses, but in the world. All right, let's, be, let's just be like, kind of like Paul, because we're going to get to him in just a second here. Let's imagine that all 20 million have an encounter with real hope, with the Christ. Imagine what could happen. Paul even comes up to that later on in Ephesians, right? 3.20, that God could do imaginably more than we could ever ask, right? Or greater than we could ever ask or imagine. That God could do greater than we could ever ask or imagine. So why not we pray for it? Why not we pray that 20 million students would encounter? If we add faculty and staff to that, that's another 4 million in population. 24 million on campuses in population throughout just the U.S. I have great hope because I believe in real hope. So that's where we're going right now. If we go to the next slide you'll see some of the ways in which we live this out on our campuses. Discipleship is central to who we are as InterVarsity and we believe it should be central to the Christian life. So yes, we are very evangelistic. You saw that in the video but we quickly move them because we want them in, to be in a space where they can navigate faith and life. And we understand the realities of who we are as human beings and that every single one of us, as, as Scripture tells us in the very beginning of the Scripture, that we are all, every single one is crea- created in the image of the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God. And this is a beautiful thing, but it's also a thing that we have to navigate in, in our everyday, ordinary lives. And so we move forward on the slides there, and we... we we see in how we live out in different ways in our own particular spaces, um, but then we gather as, like I said, at Urbana, but also in our, what we call our large group gatherings, which would be similar to like a Sunday worship service. You have small groups, or you have youth group, and you have children's group, and then you have adult, small group, whatever, and you gather together on Sunday, because we believe in that as well. And so, and that's how we live it out on campuses. And so, with these, I'm inviting you to learn more about that. I'll drop a little bit more about InterVarsity throughout the sermon, but I want to, but But for us at InterVarsity, we we honestly, we look at scripture to find ourselves in the story, right? Because we know that we will find ourselves in the story of God because it's ever being written. So we want to jump to Acts 26 now. I think the next slide is just a a holder. Yeah. Oh, I can come back to that. Um, Actually, no, you know what? Because this leads perfectly into what Paul is talking about. And that you'll see on the bottom that we really do need each other. And I had the blessed opportunity for four years to sit across, longer than that over the phone, but four years to sit across the, at once a month with, um, with a mentor of mine who was 85 years old at the time. And, and he wrote a book called um, We Need Each Other. We really need, <laughs> need each other. Um, and, 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 and I believe that wholeheartedly. And he would say that to me, not only, um, Tim, do I need you, as an 85-year-old, you would say that to me as a 40-year-old. But you need me, and we need those younger than us, and you need those students on your campus that I was, I was, I was chaplain at Point Loma, and, and those students need you, and the church needs one another. We really do need each other. And I believe that in Acts, we get a beautiful picture of this. We get a beautiful picture of, 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 of how we are to live out this belonging to one another, this reality that we are better together in Christ, not uniformly, not unanimity, but in unity. Not all looking the same, not all being the same, but all being united in Christ. And, and so this is the early church trying to figure that out, right? That's the book of Acts, trying to figure it out. And so we jump all the way to Acts 26 and we get this testimony by, by someone who, who wasn't in unity <laughs> with the new believers, but then became in unity with the new believer and I believe it offers us a vision of hope for us for the church for us As, uh, uh, as Varsity on campuses and for us as the global bride I think Acts 26 describes a beautiful vision and testimony of how we really do need each other in order to point to hope Not just to need each other for needs sake, but to point beyond ourselves to real hope a hope that's compelling and that's transformative no matter the circumstances of our lives, and no matter at what point of the journey we are in becoming, because we're all in the art of becoming, we're becoming someone. <laughs> And that's shaped by a lot of things. And I think Paul talks about that. Paul shares his conversion story in 26. We didn't read it earlier. I encourage you to go back and read the entire chapter of 26. Um, because it's his conversion story, which you may be familiar with, you may not be familiar with. But we, we kind of um, uh, skipped a portion of it there, right there um, in, in the middle of the passage. We skipped it. And, and some of you can relate. If you know Paul's conversion story, some of you can relate to his 180 conversion story. I, I can't. I grew up as a, I am still a recovering pastor's kid, right? So I grew up in this kind of like, uh, this ongoing becoming of recognizing Jesus in my life and, and, and surrendering at different points in my life. Still today, this morning, surrendering, right? And I think that's the, that's the beautiful, beautifulness of, of Christ being with us and, and recognizing hope that we can, that we have hope that we can actually surrender more and more in our lives. But, but and so I, I didn't grow up like in Paul's, Paul's conversion story, but either way, he recognizes his past as a part of who he is, and he declares, I am a Pharisee. See, he recognizes that, that his past is important to who he is in the present, but that's not all who he is. The past doesn't define all who he is. It's not where his central identity lies. His identity was tied to a hope now, a new hope, an incredibly transformative hope that shaped who he was still becoming like you and like me and like the students on campuses. Someone, as he said, who wasn't, and we read this, kicking against a spear. So if you don't understand that, it's a Greek proverb. It means that that he he wasn't hurting himself. I think we do that a lot in our day and age, no matter the day and age. (laughs) We take a lot out on ourselves. We hurt ourselves in different ways. But this new hope was transforming him in a way that he didn't have to do that any longer. Instead, he he recognized that he could be someone or become someone that was a flourishing, redemptive agent of Christ. And as he testifies, and we read it, it was the very last last verse that we read this morning, that, that he could be a redemptive agent of Christ even in chains. See, this hope that we believe in in InterVarsity and the hope Paul speaks about um, in verses 6 through 7, because of the hope and the promise of God, that the promise God gave our ancestors, that God raises the dead, see, this is the hope. It's not just some idea for Paul or some philosophy or some help advi- self-help advice. No, it's more than that. It's, it's more transformative and life-shaping than that. It's more real than that. Paul declares this, I consider myself especially fortunate that I stand before you today as I offer my defense. Today I am standing trial because of the hope. Seriously? It's fortunate that he's in prison? That he's in chains? He considers that fortunate. Or does he consider the opportunity no matter what it is fortunate? Because he can point beyond himself and his circumstance to real hope. See, seriously, in, our, in, in my own life, I think about this. Who in their right mind, who in, like, me in my right mind, would I consider it an opportunity to witness to such a hope while under trial? In front of kings or generals or a judge? <laughs> or in prison or facing death? Would I consider it fortunate? So what sort of hope is Paul really speaking about? Simply, and I think you know we're there, (laughs) and you're there with me, that this hope is a person. It's Jesus. And it's hope about the resurrection that this person, Jesus, brings now and forever. It might even be said that hope is less about brand new things and more about all things being made new. Resurrection and redemption are central to Paul's way of life. But as we all experience, especially in these days, hope can seem elusive. It may may seem like a great idea, but not fully possible. So we settle for securing what we can in the here and now. And we secure a lot of stuff. (laughs) And oftentimes it means that we kick against the spear, at least I have. (laughs) You see, we are all in the art of becoming, like I mentioned, but what, what, uh, what we are becoming is often determined by what we love most and what we hope for. What we hope in and what we hope for is more than wishful thinking. We're, we're, we're fueled by our hope and what we love. We wish a lot, but, but hope, see, hope looks both in the present and to the future. It sets its eyes on a tell so th- What What I mean by that is it sets its eyes on a goal or an end. Hope changes things in the present because of what we hope for in the future. How we act, what we hold tightly to or what we hold loosely to, what we put first in our lives, it changes us because of a vision or a certain hope we have for in the future. So we might ask, ask, what sort of hope do we see in the future? Do we see any hope in the future, whether it's near or far? Do we see redemption or destruction? Do we hope in a God who redeems all things and longs to make all things new? Or do we just think the earth's just going to hell and have a handbasket? You see, there's a big difference in that sort of telos, in that sort of goal or hope. Do I hope that my children grow up to be responsible and compassionate? Or, or do I just leave them to survive? Go on, little children. Do I hope that my dog will stop pooping in the front, front room or do I train her and hope for the best? <laughs> do I just hope things will get better or do I seek to help the world become better? What we hope in and love most shapes how we live out our everyday ordinary lives. Our world, it declares boldly that hope is found in certain places, in certain people, in a, in a certain nation, or an election, or a particular candidate, or a leader, or a tribe, or a certain church, or a certain race, or a certain degree, or a certain status, or certain fame. Does any of these sound familiar? Or money, or sexuality, or hope just lies in me, in the I. This, this wasn't much different. In the book of Acts, <laughs> in the first century, for most of the world, under the oppression of Rome. And so we live fighting tooth and nail to accomplish, or, or we polarize ourselves into extremes. And either place is misplaced hope. But just maybe this hope that Paul speaks about in Acts 26 um, can be experienced like what Paul has experienced. That is, it can transform our lives to live differently. Like in the smallest ways, like lighting a candle in a dark place. (laughs) Maybe lighting a candle in a dark place is offering a hug to a friend that needs it. Maybe lighting a candle in a dark place is just sitting and listening to someone who's suffering. Maybe lighting a candle in a dark place is not trying to solve things, but just being with others. And so I want to share something here by a student of ours that that found meeting in a dark place lighting a candle in a dark place so she set out to like she this was during the pandemic right and and so her small group which we refer to as chapters was canceled School was canceled. She's like, but she needed to check on, check in on her students because she realized, um, as she was scrolling, sc- scrolling, excuse me, scrolling through Instagram feeds and Twitter feeds and TikTok feeds, she started noticing some things going on with her students. And and she's a student herself, so this is a student-led opportunity right here. Okay, this is a student to student, and and she just was overwhelmed by 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 wanting to reach out, and so she starts this. What she starts this. Um, This story, and she says, We don't have to hide behind our highlight reels or social media. Let's be real community. You in? And so she checks. So actually what happened over time, there was, there was over 2,500 that looked at that first one, right? And then in time, over 500 students actually engaged. So engaged means they either made a comment or they liked it, right? So there was some sort of engagement. Out of those 500, then 50 of them actually engaged in the final thing. Jesus gives me peace when I am anxious and helps me to be my real self. And so there's the emojis of what, you are, what are you feeling right now? Do you think God would do this for you? 80% said yes. So that was 50 people. 80% of them said yes, right? And so, so then that engagement then actually led her to, to, to DM, to d- direct message those that had engaged with her, right? And invite them to a Zoom uh, um, time to share, where she was just going to listen and then pray an clo- uh, opening and closing prayer, and that was it. She was going to spend time listening. And fif- 15 of them came. And we go, oh, 15, really, out of 2,500? No, no, we don't do that in the church. We go, yes, 15 of them came. 15 lives deeply impacted by this young girl's love for them to point them to real hope, that there's hope in the midst of this chaotic, just horrible time in their lives where things were stripped away from them, not just education, but their friends, (laughs) their time, their hopes, their dreams their aspirations i think this was similar to what paul is talking about here and this small illuminating opportunity (laughs) however a lot of times in our lives and we can skip to the next slide and just have that holder there a lot of times in our lives hope is set aside or given up on i mean i've done it in my own life our society does it too we let pop culture ideas or ideologies shape us to believe that we, we are exceptional or it's, it's just not my problem. One end of the spectrum or the other, right? And so we settle in those spaces for false hope, not real hope. But hear me, hear me. I, I, I believe as Christians that there are injustices in our world and that we must, they, they must be addressed and fought. Paul is addressing those issues while he's in chains, <laughs> He is not evading those. As believers, we should not sit idly by and and, and let these injustices go that pervade our students' lives, that pervade our own lives, or our campuses, or our world. But with all injustices, we are called to fight differently than the world tells us how to fight. We are called to be Christ-like in all we say and in all we do. We are called into a hope-filled living, not a pessimistic bystanding. Did you hear that? We are called into a hope-filled living, and hope motivates us. Hope moves us to be compassionate. It moves us to be loving. It moves us to be engaged, not to be pessimistic bystanders. So we're called to be about redemption, not eradication. We are, not, we are to not let fear drive us to misplaced idealism, where we become judge, trial, and executioner, like Saul was before he became Paul. He believed he was supposed to be all three, and this transformative hope changed him to not be about eradication, but to be about redemption. We live in a world, and you all know this, and we've suffered it this week even, we live in a world where light and dark, life and death, wounds and wonders, grief and gratitude, they kiss each other at every moment. There is light and there is dark simultaneously. As Christians, we should neither avoid or ignore this reality. But we can live differently in this tension than the world does. One that is neither apathetic nor hysterical. One that is neither controlled by fear nor negates fear. One that not only emphasizes, um, excuse me, one that not only empathizes, but one that is compassionate. That's even another step forward than empathy. One that not only recognizes that God is with us, but is also revealed and witnessed through us in both tragedies, and enjoys. And so I think, especially hearing Paul's words to the reigning and oppressive Roman Empire while in chains, <laughs> while in prison, it demonstrates a courageous, hope filled way of living that we can live as well. For Paul, it seemed to be a hope that has the power to change a person and a world. Change that can seriously move someone, verse 11, from rage and hysteria to hospitality and compassion. Verse 18, from hate to forgiveness, from killing and persecution to love and redemption. A hope that can change from hopeless living to hope-filled thriving, from brokenness to wholeness, from darkness to light, from death to resurrected life. For Paul, it was about a nonviolent steadfastness of hope in the person Jesus And hope in the resurrection that only the triune God in Christ Jesus could bring. But see, we have to be aware. Hope can be confrontational. (laughs) It can be disruptive. It can be disturbing to the status quo. Hope changes things. It makes a new way where there seems to be no other way. Remember that hymn? Hope changes a bloodthirsty, Pharisaical headhunter of Christians into a nonviolent, gentle, gentle witnessing giant. Hope changes behavior and produces good deeds. Hope moves people from destroying one another to serving one another. Hope decides not to curse the darkness but to light a candle. Hope loves God and loves neighbor. Hope paradoxically brings life from death. Surrender moves to life-giving life. (laughs) Again, this isn't just wishful hope. It's a hope full of forgiveness and redemption. The hope is the person Jesus. For God so loved and loves the cosmos. All. And this is the hope that Paul longs for his hearers to embrace, even, even, While he stands in front of the Roman Empire. But he hopes for it in just a uniquely funny way to me. He hopes that we face the same things just not in chains. How hopeful is that? (laughs) He doesn't want us to be in prison like that. But he, he reminds us to rejoice in the hope even if we are. The church is called and sent in the gospels as a peaceful witness. This is how we demonstrate that hope. And this peace isn't something to be hoarded just for me or harnessed for a particular sort of person. It's too big for that. God so loved the cosmos. (laughs) Jesus is too big for that. It witnesses to the powers that be and the empires of any age, whether Rome or today. And as Paul says, it's been there all along. It's been there all alone, along. I stand here and bear witness to the lowly and the great. I'm saying nothing more than what the prophets and Moses declared would happen. That the Christ would suffer and that as the first to rise from the dead, he would, recla- he would proclaim light both to my people and to the Gentiles. It's been there all along, maybe because it's the person who's been there all along. Jesus has come for all, to redeem all of creation, all peoples, all ethnicities, all nationalities, all race, all of creation, all flowers, all animals. (laughs) Redemption for the whole cosmos. This is hope, and we prayed it earlier jesus taught us to pray this prayer may your will and your kingdom come someday no (laughs) may your will and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven on earth as it is in heaven today right now see but this is this is about new life i love that banner i love it right new life for all of creation light for the world to see redemptive hope not brand new things I think that's important for us to understand. Not brand new thing, but all things being made new. This is a subversive message about true power and true freedom. Found in confession, found in surrender, found in forgiveness, found in serving. And that's paradoxical to the world. (laughs) But But Paul truly trusted and believed in this hope. This real person, Jesus. Finally, last thing that um, I'm reminded of as I think about this, and I, I, I don't know if you guys are C.S. Lewis fans or not, but I'm I'm an incredible huge geek when it comes to Lewis, especially um, his novels, and and so I'm reminded that over and over again um, in the Chronicles of Narnia, over and over again when we encounter Aslan, we are reminded by one of the characters. Um, that, that it says this actually in the last battle, it says this, he's not a t- it says it in the, in, um, in the Lion Witch in the Wardrobe too, but he's not a tame lion. And in the last battle, it quotes like this, we live between the paws of the great Aslan, between the paws, and he is no tame lion. You see, he's wild, big, and yet one whom the children can trust and obey. For they knew even if they could not see him all the time, He was with them all the time. And for the children, living between the paws of Aslan was the most beautifully dangerous and yet most wonderfully peaceful place to be. It is dangerous to be a Christian, it takes courage to push back on a status quo. (laughs) But we don't do this alone. Acts paints a beautiful picture for us that Paul can stand in front of death even, in front of the powers that be with a hope that is transformative because the Holy Spirit is with us. The comforter has come. The comforter has been sent to enable us. So for Paul and for Lewis, this is kingdom hope. Kingdom hope requires trusting, but trusting that produces a flourishing humanity. And this is righteous hope. And what I mean by righteous is right relationship with the Father and right relationship with others. And righteousness is transformative. <laughs> and this is hope for all. In the joyful times, absolutely. And in the sorrowful times, most definitely. This is real hope. It's Jesus the Christ. Hope can be lived out because hope redeems, because hope restores. So let's become a hope filled, hopeful people in Jesus the Christ. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enable you to point to real hope as you step from this place and go in His presence. May the peace of Christ be with us all. In Jesus' name.
0: Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church of the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org slash connect if you'd like to connect with us. And have a great week.